Hi, I'm Sanera Madani, and I'm a mom of two, a daughter of an immigrant and an unlikely entrepreneur who went from scaling an idea to a billion dollar business. Yes, a billion dollar business. Along the way, I learned that less than 2% of female founders ever hit 1 million in revenue. And I became obsessed on a mission to change that. I believe that there is so much gatekeeping in business knowledge and that we as female entrepreneurs should be learning from other female founders and leaders who have broken the statistics. Since I never went to CEO school, I've had to learn it all the hard way, but you shouldn't have to because we believe that you deserve to have it all. And honestly, nothing bad happens when women make more money. Grab a seat because class is officially in session. Welcome to CEO School. Hello, ladies. Happy Monday and welcome back to the CEO School podcast. I'm your host, Sanira Madani, and we are still in New York City. I know you're catching these episodes week by week, but it has been just the most incredible few days recording with just New York's finest. I today am interviewing one of my dear friends who happens to live in the city and one of the first women who actually gave me any sort of venture capital advice when I was in my early days of even dreaming up my first business, uh, Fat Merchant is what it was called, before it was even called Stacks. And so this friend of mine not only you know was in the venture space, actually went on to create one of the only female-led funds in the US, now managing over 150 million under assets and investing in women every single day. Her name is Nisha Dua, and she is not only just the most incredible venture capitalist, she's a friend and somebody that I look up to in her career and her journey, and I'm just so honored to have you here today, Nisha. Welcome to CEO School. Hey, Sanira, I am so stoked to be here. <laughs> it feels like this has been a relationship evolving over many, many years, yes. and it has been so thrilling to go from that first coffee meeting down in like Greenwich Village to sitting in this gorgeous space today talking about what we've both been working on. It's been amazing. And I will say that that, that has been our relationship. Like I actually met uh, backstory. So I know Nisha through my sister-in-law, Sabrina. Uh, and Sabrina is also, you know, was a, you know, New York finance. And so I would come up here to New York to come visit my family. And I met Nisha through, through my sister-in-law. And I was like, man, this woman is so awesome and so cool. And when I was starting the company and I knew that the company that I was building, it was, it was in tech and it was in SaaS and it required a lot of venture capital. But you know, you you all know my story, but there there's absolutely no resources even at that time, and even still, I still struggle with almost the same things that I struggled with over a decade ago. And so that is exactly the conversation that we're going to have today on you know the struggles that we have as women, uh, just not just building businesses, but we really you know the businesses do require capital to scale, and just the there's not a lack of capital; it's the lack of investing in women, and so. Nisha at the time, um, just her experience and she was working in M&A and I like had a, that coffee with her. I'll never forget that coffee. And I was actually pregnant with Mila and I told you, I was like, and I have a baby coming. And you gave me real honest advice about what this is going to look like for me in, in the space ahead. And I kid you not, I carry you were such a pivotal part of my journey, even if you don't like, even if like it was just that one coffee meeting initially, it was a huge part of what shaped my venture capital journey 
uh, ahead. And obviously we went on to do incredible things. And Nisha's just always been supportive like through the years. Um, and then at every point we end up having that coffee again, every time I'm back in, uh, in New York. And so it's just been wonderful also to see your journey. She's actually been on the CEO school podcast before. So we'll link some of the old, uh, episodes like in the show notes, if you want to catch the, like the evolved journey. Uh, and so Nisha, tell us a little bit about, about you, your background and BBG ventures. Sure. Um, So I guess I would say I'm a classic multi-hyphenate. I started my career in Australia as a young mergers and acquisitions lawyer doing public and private M&A and securities law, was incredibly disillusioned by the fact that law was really just filling out forms, essentially, to, to do people's agreements. And I was much more fascinated by the business dynamics of the deals that I was working on. So I made a jump into management consulting, which is a great place to go if you don't know what you want to do yet. Um, but it gave me this incredible exposure to Fortune 500 CEOs across tech and telco, financial services, um, fast-moving consumer goods, right? You name it. And this kind of like problem-solving kit of how to approach business. Um, But I really just wanted to be an operator and in the thick of business. So I made the jump over to America, had always wanted to live in New York, wanted to live in New York since I was like 13 years old and said, I'm going to find a job in the city. And I met this woman, Susan Line, who's actually now my partner in BBG Ventures. And Susan was the president of the AOL brand group. I didn't know AOL still existed, but for my screen name in high school, Nish Nish 67. Oh my goodness. Did we just go there? <laughs> what, was, what was your screen name? Oh my God. I don't think I have ever shared that. Do it. Like, Do oh it now. I am so Iconic. embarrassed. Hot and spicy 921. Yes, you are. Hot I and love spicy. It. And but it had like the exos and like the like the stars. That's and, like iconic 90s. Yes. That's so good. It was hot and spicy. I feel like I feel like the Gen Z kids would actually be like very into that now. So I think you could make a comeback. And maybe I name. can make a comeback. What do you think? Hot and spicy 921. Should I bring it back? Yeah, I'm here for it. That's what I'm gonna save you as in my phone. Oh for my now. God. <laughs> Please don't. I cannot believe you had me just share that with like a million people so right good. now. Okay, okay, great. So let me cut to the chase. So I started working with Susan on what was called the brand group, 40 different websites, 1300 people. I led strategy and operations um, and really had my hands in everything that the group was working on. We were trying to get back to traffic growth. Um, But what was the best part of it was I got to take over our celebrity gossip website on the side and reinvent it. So we were going to shut it down. Um, Instead, I learned, this was in 2014, okay? You didn't have to buy an audience on Facebook. You could grow organically on social media. So I was doing like meme growth hacking way back when, before you even had to pay for an audience. So we grew this website and what we realized was this young core audience of Gen and millennial women were the early adopters, the power users. And Susan and I started talking about this more and more. I took that platform, I turned it into something called Built by Girls because I said like, how do we harness the power of all these young women to get into technology, right? Like everyone's telling girls to get into STEM, but what do they actually do? So we were connecting them with professionals all around the country, right? Product designers, engineers, we made over 20,000 matches. But Susan and I stepped back and she was meeting 
female entrepreneurs like yourself who are having trouble raising. Susan had been the CEO of Guilt and she was meeting like the LearnVest founder, the Rent the Runway founders, and they all had the same stories. How hard it was to take an idea that meant something to them and to the consumer base they rec- represented um, and that they were getting blank stares in meetings. Meanwhile, I was working with this young audience, like they were the early users of Snapchat. They were the early users of Pokemon Go. People don't know that about young women, right? So we thought there was a tremendous opportunity to back these founders because, you know what, if you understand your user, whether it's consumer or business, you know, whether it's enterprise or SMB, you have a competitive advantage and that's where you're going to find outsized returns. And that is the story of how BBG Ventures was born. Oh my God, that's so incredible. And I love the stats that you shared. Could you, you know, share a little bit about that, like validation of that thesis, like, and over the years, like, tell us a little bit about just the journey of BBG from that inception to some of like the milestones, the portfolio companies. Yeah. Well, I think what's so important about where we invest at BBG Ventures is it's not popular to say this, but it's not about mission and it's not about equity, Ooh. right? It is about money. So Damn. our mission. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, come on. Our mission, BBG, is make money, make change. I love it. Right? That. So if we drive returns by investing in the best female or diverse founders, and we'll talk about that more, but the best overlooked founders, we will drive returns and ultimately we will make change because more capital will flow to those founders because the industry has FOMO, right? They're going to want those returns. So it's really important, I think, and that was a hallmark of why we've been able to grow, right? LPs, our investors, they resonate with that. I mean, I literally was going to say, take my money. How can I invest in BBG? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we are... I think really excited to have both institutional investors, but to have um, people who are former operators, right? Like people who understand how to run businesses. And so I would say the two things that have really helped us are that thesis, right? That we are here to drive outsized returns because of this unique competitive advantage these founders can have for their users. And secondly, because we're both former operators, so we can help companies in a different way, right? Everything from setting your KPIs, thinking through high-level strategy, hiring problems and org design, all the way to helping you get PR for your company. Um, So that I think earned us the right really early on, even as small investors, to be on cap tables of really extraordinary companies. So companies like Zola, the wedding registry, um, or Spring Health, the mental health care company that uses AI and machine learning to match patients with the right therapist for them as a company benefit. Spring Health uh, valued at over $2 billion today. It's a double unicorn, younger CEO of a unicorn, April Co. Um, And these were early investments for us. So, you know, what I would say has been really fascinating is you see these companies, right? It's a long timeline, you know it, but we see the success of these companies and that is what is is selling the story. Make, make money, make change. Oh my God, take all my money. I am so like just riveted right now listening to this because that is 
that I mean that is our motto. I mean nothing right. bad happens when women make more money. In fact, Absolutely. it's the opposite. It is about that. We t- we call it impact and like it, but it's the exact same thing when we're able to actually create businesses that go beyond the small business level and that I mean, you know this this has been the whole change of what I've been trying to, you know, change for CEO school and why I believe there's our unique place in the, in this sector as a community and as a um you know, uh, you know, an educational service for female entrepreneurs. It's really about getting beyond that million dollar mark and that less than 2% ever make it through the million. But if we're not going to actually get there, we're not going to have sizable businesses that can grow, that can scale so that we can actually make that impact. And so that to me just like resonates on all fronts. And then it is a unique advantage because I think now I sit here not only as a, you know, exited like CEO and a founder and an operator, um, but also as an investor as well. And I do think that great companies are built on the right mission and the right values, but I think women naturally bring that to the table. Yeah. There's actually a stat around that. A study was done a few years ago. I have to find the source. Um, but when surveying male and female founders, um, double the amount of women said that they were building a company to change the world yeah. than men, right? And I think that is very much in our DNA. And that's why at BBG Ventures, we say we back women who are moving the world forward, right? And there are huge opportunities in the areas we invest in, healthcare, future of work and education, climate security, financial inclusion, and some consumer stuff. But by their very nature, because of the problems in those categories, categories, people building for those categories are going to move the world forward. Yeah. And I agree with that. I see that every single day for every single woman I ever interview. I mean, I will say this every single episode. I do not meet a woman that starts a business that's like, okay, it's for like whatever, like they're solving a problem because nobody else did it. And they're like the last person to be like, fuck it, I'll do it. Right. Like that's, that's how it happens. But I love what you're saying about truly bringing those outsized returns because that is one of the areas that I feel like like that is what's going to change the game for, you know, funds investing in female-led companies. I mean, at the end of the day, the business is all about numbers and returns and that is what the game of investment is. And so I would love to kind of switch gears a little bit to talk about you probably receive – I mean, I know every entrepreneur here listening is like, how can I get Nisha and BBG Ventures to back me? Because all of the support that you're giving for these entrepreneurs, the investment that they need, we have so many women that need you. But what makes a company, like what what actually catches your attention? And I know you're doing, you do early stage investing, but how did you even find the, you know, Zola in the early days? So if you could share a little bit about what they need to be doing to get the attention of of, of funds like BBG. Sure. Um, So I'll start with something really important, which I think is um, venture capital works the way it's always worked, right? Closed doors, warm introductions, backdoor handshakes, right? It's all about network. So network's important. But expanding that network is really critical. So we do take warm introductions. We take referrals from other founders we've met. We take referrals from founders we've passed on. Um, We take referrals from other investors. But we also open our doors. So you can email us at hello at bbgventures.com. Okay, we're going to link that. Hello at bbgventures.com. Hello at bbgventures.com. You can cold email us. So one of our investments in Chicago, the MUM Project, 
the mum project is a freelance uh, is a platform to get women back into flexible work after they've left um the industry to to have a baby um and the mom project came to us through hello at bbgventures.com, right? So that is, it, it's really important because we're meeting founders we would otherwise never meet through that avenue. Then we also spend time uh, working with pre-seed funds, accelerators, incubators. Uh, so we're casting a pretty wide net and that's really important to get that diversity of thought, right? Not every founder is going to have gone to Stanford and studied engineering and that is completely okay. So I would say get our attention through cold. If you know, if you can get an introduction a second way, that's great. And what do I mean by that? You don't yeah. have to know someone in the industry, but it helps to be in the mix. And I don't say that just to get an introduction. I say that because that's what benefits an entrepreneur, right? Be around other entrepreneurs, be constantly making connections and you will find your way to great investors. Um, so I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, and I want to talk about this before what gets our attention, because I think it's really critical. Not every business is right for venture capital, and that is okay. Mm -hmm. I think we've been in, let's call it the last seven years, like a real fiery market of, I want to have a startup, I want to raise venture capital, but not every business is right for VC. Some businesses should be bootstrapped, should be built off taking a loan, or should be built by trying to be revenue um, and cash flow positive, right, at, at the beginning. So which businesses require venture capital? I think that's the first question you have to ask yourself if you want to pitch a VC. Um, you know, I like to think about it as, firstly, what do you want as the entrepreneur? Do you do you want to be beholden to fast growth expectations? That is what venture is going to ask of you. Um, are you. Are you okay with spending, spending, spending to grow at the outset? And we can talk about how that's changed in a little bit. Um, are you are you happy with venture capital investors who are going to kind of hold your feet to the fire a little bit, right? To grow. I'm, I'm being super honest. No, it's okay? good. Not a little bit, right? Yeah, a lot. A lot. Let's let's be yeah. real. Okay. And then, what is it about your business that requires such an injection of capital to supercharge it, right? So, uh, Mark Andreessen from A16Z in one of his old blog posts, P Marker Archives. It's it's one of the best resources for founders, by the way. Talks about like why do you need venture capital, and he gives the example of a chip. Like if you have a piece of technology um, that to scale it, to to build more of them, and to get it into the hands of people faster, you require an injection of capital, then venture capital might just be the right place for you. Um, but, you know, some people would say that paying for customer acquisition on social media for a consumer goods business is not necessarily where you need venture capital. Depends on the company, I think. But um, I think it's all to say it's, it's really important to consider, does my business model require an inflection of capital or an injection of capital that is going to help me go really fast. So you and I have talked about this before on our last podcast, but how do I find scale and how do I show repeatability to get that scale? So those are some of the things that we're thinking about when we consider, is this business right for venture capital? You know, I, I fully agree with that, but I think a lot of the, I, I think a lot of founders, and I, I agree with the, the hype around venture capital that, you know, if I just had, I think that that is also 
a conversation I have very often with founders of, you know, well, if I just had the investors, or if I just had the investment. And if you really do believe that if you just had, you know, this X amount of investment, you know, have you actually built out a model that says if today you actually received that million dollar check that what you, would you yeah, do what would it? you, what, what, what is, not just what would you do, what exactly what you do 100%. and what exactly would be the return. Yeah. If you cannot exactly calculate that return, then I believe that you are not ready for that investment. Yeah. And when you're ready for investment, it's because at, at every stage, I knew that I was, every dollar that I received, I could return $3 back immediately to my business. And we just needed more capital to do that. Yeah. Right? And our customers, we already had the demand for the next product, but we didn't have enough engineers to support that yeah. product, which would then immediately create ROI on that dollar again. But I do believe that it is so critical to to ask yourself truly, like, if what is that exact amount versus like, oh yeah, I would, of course, everybody would love an influx of capital yeah. to say, yeah, I'm going to go get more customers because I can go invest in marketing, right? And I think that that's okay. where the natural- I love this example because yeah. you will never guess how many decks I see, and I'm sure you've seen them too. There's a use of funds slide in the deck, right? And it's a pie chart and you'll see some number like 70%, towards marketing or 50% towards marketing, 40% towards team, 10% towards operations. You've hit the nail on the head, right? What exactly are you going to do with that money? Who are the hires you're going to make? Do you actually know those people? Have you talked to them? Are they ready to come on board the minute you get the money? What is your marketing strategy? What is your distribution advantage? Do you know where to apply the dollars so you can get that three to one return you just described? So I think specificity is really what we're getting at. And why is that important? So if we take a step back, what are we looking for at BBG Ventures? We are looking for a founder who is both a visionary and an executor. Mm -hmm. And the two of those things are critical to being a founder who can build a big business, right? Um, we want to see that you can sell your story to investors, to new recruits, new employees, to partners and to customers, right? So that salesmanship is really critical. The second piece is, can you actually go and execute on that sales story? Anyone can be a great storyteller, right? But I wanna, I wanna be convinced that you know what we've just discussed. You know what you're going to do with that money. And if I give it to you tomorrow, you will hit the ground running. Forget tomorrow, you've already hit the ground running. You've already said to this like, you know, head of engineering, you've convinced them that they should come work for you. They're working for you part-time, right? How scrappy have you been? Um, and I think that is a question that we get a lot, right? Like you said, I. I need investors, right? I need investors to get started. And then you'll hear people say, how do I get traction if I don't have investors, yes. if I don't have investment? You need to be scrappy. You need to figure it out. Yeah, you need to, I think about Katrina Lake from Stitch Fix, right? Like her MVP was an Excel spreadsheet of people telling her what kind of clothes they wanted and picking the clothes that she could give to them. So what can you do on, what can you do that's super manual that is a proof point of the need for your business? 
I fully agree with that. I mean, as an investor now on the other side, I the execution piece is so critical. And I find most often that like it's either the like you and you need both. So I fully support you need and you have to be able to storytell. None of this is going to happen sitting from your living room or behind your phone or whatever. Nothing's ever going to come to you. So you have to want to have that you know, I'm going to run through that wall mentality of like every single day. And there is just this like intense level factor. Yeah. There is well, an intense level I factor. I remember you at the beginning. You were going and knocking on the doors of small business owners. Yes. To get the fat merchant product in their yes, hands. Yes, I was. Yeah. Literally driving around. There was no customer acquisition digitally yet. I was literally, because I needed at least some proof point to say that people would buy into this new model that we were disrupting. I was convincing retailers that like to hand me over their transactions. Like, and I figured it out at 26 years old. I'm not saying that, um, you know, no, I am saying that. Like, you have to be able to go figure it out. Yeah. Like, you have to, and you have to be able to show that. I have some contrary points that I do want to ask you mm. on just investing in men versus investing in women. Mm-hmm. So as an investor, I will say 100%, I look for, for founders that just have that, what my father used to, it's the it factor. Yeah. And it is this, this, it's that story. And you can tell those founders that will not, you can't sleep, you can't eat, you can't breathe. This is like, but they're maniacal about execution as yeah. well. So the execution part is so important. They always say there's no such thing as a billion dollar idea, only a billion dollar execution. Sure. And we willed our way to the, like, if it, there was no shot in hell that if we were missing, I didn't miss once ever, like an AOP, like mm-hmm. for my for my board. I was so proud of the fact that if I was going to put my name down and say, this is what we're going to go do. Now, I'm not saying that the like it looked exactly the way it should have or that there wasn't like, you know, major holes like through the business or things that were happening. That's part of the journey. But we would fucking will our way, figure it out to make sure yeah. whatever we said we, we needed to go do, we would figure out a way to go do it. Well, you and described I think it as running through walls, right? <laughs> and I think that is yeah. when you meet a founder, you are trying to understand will this person do whatever it takes to make this company work or to find the product that works? And I want to use whatever it takes, you know, yeah. like in, in the in the way it should be taken, which is not fraud, spoiler alert. Um, we, we can talk about, you know, that another time. But that is what we are looking for, right? That special something that says – this founder is going to make any version of this business work, even even if it's not the version they're presenting on a piece of paper today. Yeah, I agree, and I and I think that there is definitely that level of intensity that venture capital requires that I don't think is shared on the media side because I think it's sexy to see sure. the growth, the numbers, the team, the press articles, and we're like revering raising capital. Yeah, right. Like yeah. it's 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 the more capital. And that the capital comes if you meet those goals, not just if you meet them, but if you surpass them. And the unfortunate truth is that the goalposts often change, right? Because yes. the market changes. And I think it's really important to be open-eyed, right? Like if someone gives you investment, if they're a VC or anyone really, they have expectations of the business. And if you don't meet those expectations, it's very unlikely they're going to give you more money. So I think that is what has been missing from this equation about what is venture, what is a startup, why do I, why would I raise money from mm-hmm. this group of people, right? And and you have to have your own your own set of goals. You do. And that and what I was trying to say is like that level of intensity over the last bit also through just the rise in like just the work 
environments. And it's just, I, I have seen like this, yes, we can go build. And I'm not saying that the businesses have to be this like huge hustle mentality of a business. Sure. However, there is a level of execution and that fire that is in a high growth company that is not for all. And right. that needs to get, that we have to check that. But I want to also point out, I agree with ev all of this. I am that founder. I am like, cannot believe we're going to go do this again. Like I have not shared what we're doing yet, but it has been nonstop for the last six months. Like as soon as it was go, it has been in stealth. And I feel like I'm like, why am I, like, why am I doing this again? But it is, it's what we do. We yeah. build, you know, but it is, I will say though, that the, one of the things that I have found is that men are so often, white men mm -hmm. are so often given investment on their potential or yes. through their network versus, you know, underrepresented founders are, and especially women, we are not given that credit. We have to prove what we have done. Mm -hmm. And I do think that that was my journey period of like, you know, ended up doing all the things, but it was because of what I was able to show and execute. And then now going back out and raising capital, it was obviously a very different experience. Um, we were able to pick up uh, just a few phone calls and it did not matter what was on, like it, it was, it did not matter. Now our names were on it and the checks were there. Yeah. And it took obviously that level of execution and that credibility, et cetera, to earn that right today to have that. But I do feel for just women who do have that drive, that execution and all of that, but they're so often like overlooked as well. Like it's mm -hmm. hard. they are overlooked. And I, I also see that. Uh, and so I do want to get your perspective on the what you're seeing in this space. I mean, you are also so unique in that you've created a mandate to to invest in women and underrepresented founders, yeah. right? That is not the typical venture capitalist firm, right? And we don't we don't have enough women at the top <coughs> like you that believe in that and so can so clearly can like no that is just your your mission. So what do you say to like you know about the industry or how is the industry changing because i do want to also acknowledge that even if you have this perfect formula you have the vision you yeah. have the execution you can still run up against what we're you're just describing. left out we're just not we're not we just don't we're not in those rooms yeah. as well and so that is why i believe the gap is still last year it was 1.8 less than two percent we went backwards on the amount of investment given to women yeah why Okay, so a lot to unpack. Yeah. I, th I think l let's start with something you described, which is this word of potential. So the data does show that men are assessed on potential, whereas women are assessed on past performance, right? So it's almost like men are innocent until proven guilty yes. and women are guilty until proven innocent. Um, so that that's, a, that's a, a societal bias that we have to unlock. But I think there's another piece of this, which is pattern matching, right? So when you walk in a room and you see someone who looks like you, you, you get their vibe, you understand what their potential is. And the majority of check writers in VC are still white men. Now that number is, I, I want to, I want to share some optimism, yeah, I okay. think in, in this conversation too. So when we all started this work, I think the number of female check writers was like six to 8%. Um, that number has gone up to 
18%. Okay. Okay. So there are more women writing checks into yes. businesses. And what we know is, you asked me what the problem is. What we know is when there are more women and more di- or more diverse investors in the room, women and diverse founders are more likely to get funded. So we still have a critical mass issue, which is the majority of investors look like one kind of person. Um, But the more and more we can get diversity into the rooms at VC firms, the more and more we'll see that funding. I want to talk about another stat. You are right, that number, that 2% number, and it it floats right between 1.8 and 2.5, but it's not changing, right? It's, It's plateaued really since we started this work. Some of that has to do with the fact that in the last three years, we have seen these mega rounds get done. And most of those Mm. mega rounds have been done by guys. So if you took out the mega rounds from the whole pie, I think you would see a small increase. Whatever, it doesn't matter. The increase actually still isn't big enough to move the needle. But what we do see is the number of dollars as a percentage going to diverse founding teams, like mixed gender teams. So the number you cited is women only. Okay. But um, 17% of venture dollars went to mixed gender teams. So having a woman on a team, that, that money is increasing. Again, these are still small numbers. It doesn't solve the problem. I think we are edging our way towards an increase in funding. But that is because we're only edging our way to more representation in check writing. So what are the challenges there? It's really an industry, a systems challenge within venture. So few venture funds and few seats at the top to write checks and limited economics to go around, right? So once a venture capitalist is in their seat, they're going to stick around at that firm for a while and the pie doesn't necessarily grow bigger to enable more people to take that leadership role at a fund. So it means it's actually harder to progress. So there's a little bit of a rock and a hard place there, which is why you see more women and more diverse folks starting their so start, own, starting starting their their own, own fund, funds, right? Yeah. Which is what we do. Yeah. And then you have great, great investors coming to the table, putting their money where their mouth is, like Bank of America, who have actually launched out of the gate, helped helped get all these funds started by being investors in their funds. Like I think the number is over 150 funds. So what we really need is more catalytic capital in the industry to help new managers get off the ground. And I think the industry is starting to look up. Like we have LPs in our fund who say, we recognize that the next decade of returns is going to come from funds that look different because founders are going to look different and they want funds that look different. I really appreciate you really just like breaking down all those statistics and it, it is like there is so much progress still that needs to get made, but there is hope and we have to change it. And I think that the ecosystem, this is why it's important for women to succeed in business because because when we succeed, then we are able to be those investors and write those checks and change the like change those dynamics. And without it, it's just not going to change. Make money, make change. Make money, make change. That is absolutely the new motto. Oh my God, I could sit here and talk to you forever. We definitely 
have so much to do together. Every time I'm with you, I just feel so inspired, Nisha. Every conversation I feel like these are the conversations that we're, we each have individually in our own circles and our communities. And, and so, we need to have them together, which is to why have, the CEO School podcast is yes, so great. This is, and, and this is how we get to have it together. But I'm, I'm excited to help you make that change. And, and, you know, for all of the women that want to support BBG, like you are the fund to support that are just leading the way for women and, and underrepresented founders. And I think it's so cool that you are my friend. And I'm just, I'm so, so just inspired by this conversation and the change that's taking place. So thank you for that. To kind of wrap things up, um, how can, you know, you know, what's happening in the, in the BBG world? Where can we support you? What's happening? Follow on social. Like, how can we get involved? This yeah. community is incredible and we are action takers. And so you'll Absolutely. see, you know, you'll see all of us now following along and sending you those hello ats and let us know how we can support BBG. Absolutely. So follow me at Nish67, slightly edited version of my <laughs> AOL screen Nish. name, at Nish67 on Instagram and Twitter. Follow us at BBG Ventures on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. But really what I would say is if you are building a company, um, and I, I want to share a little bit about yeah. how we're thinking about the world today. So when we first launched this fund, we were really focused on women because I think, you know, overlooked consumers, overlooked users as a whole, right? That was a huge opportunity. But the world is changing. We are on the cusp of a historic generational turnover of power. Gen Alpha will be the first majority minority generation in the country. Wait, say that again? Yeah. Gen Alpha will be the first majority minority generation in the country. Oh, okay. So the young, I've, the mind, the they're the minors. Yeah. But they're going to be. There's more children being born who are non-white. Who are non-white. Okay. Yeah. Gen Alpha is not far behind them. Right. Okay. It's it's a bit more even, but very uh, sorry, Gen Z, not far behind them. So almost even. So if you think about the change in the makeup of future generations, right, to put it into context for you, um, folks who are boomers today, when they were teens, 80 percent of them were white. Folks in Gen Alpha who are teens are only 47 percent white. Right. So the, the face of the country is changing. Then on the flip side, you have an aging population who's living longer, spending longer. They're getting into their second, third act. Right. So you have this intergenerational user. And then finally, you have a broadening wealth gap. Right. Knowledge workers versus deskless workers or essential workers are becoming further and further apart in terms of their wealth and the way their needs are set. So we think there are these dramatic societal shifts that are going to impact the solutions we need in health, in climate, in finance, in work, in education, you name it, all the big pillars of society. And we describe that as the polycultural future of America. So if you are building for the polycultural future of America, email us hello at bbgventures.com. The polycultural. I love this. And it is. I, I mean, it's, it's so well put on what this thesis is. Like this is it's incredible and we need to be thinking about not today we need to be thinking about the future and that's exactly what you're doing i didn't even get a chance to ask you about the baby oh my god last time i saw you you were pregnant 
And now you have a beautiful baby girl. What a journey. And I just think about all your listeners who are business owners and mothers. And, you know, I waited till till a bit later in life to become a mother. And I was 100% focused on work all the time. And it's true what they say, your universe expands. And I think what has been most exciting about it is the idea that you can totally transform your expectations for what you want in life and that work matters and the change you make matters, but it can help you rethink what is the meaning of that change and for whom that change is for. Oh, it is so true. It it is so true. It is the most remarkable, wonderful thing. And there is space for it all. You know, there is space for it all. And it just, it just changes that, that perspective of exactly who it's for and why it matters. It really does. The why really comes full. It's so meaningful. And I'm so happy. I'm so excited for you and this journey. I know you're going to be a great mom. I think about your little, yeah, I think about your little girls. I think about my little girl. I think about all the women who are building, who listen to CEO school, who've gone through your program, who wear backing over a hundred female-led companies backed by BBG Ventures. And this is what we are trying to change, right? Like we are trying to create a world where women make money, women are growing the economic pie um, so that our daughters can be part of that. Amen to that. Thank you so much, Nisha, for being here today. I hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. I know you did. I know I did. This was amazing. If you loved it, screenshot this episode, share it all over social, tag us, tag Nisha, tag myself, tag BBG and CEO school. And we cannot wait to just change the world together one woman at a time. I'll see you next week at CEO school. Thank you for tuning into today's show. If you loved it, leave us a review. We are so proud to bring you authentic conversations, game changer expert guests, and valuable content on and offline. The best compliment you can give us is by screenshotting today's show and tagging us on Instagram at CEO School and at Sanira Madani. We are obsessed with swag, so don't be surprised if we want to send you some. Thanks for tuning into class today. And remember, nothing bad happens when women make more money.